illustrate, because, you know, like, none of y'all have read a book since, like, high school, probably, or college. Like, so, so I can't really illustrate it that way. And so I thought, okay, how can we illustrate this? And I thought, if I could just take out, I don't usually have my phone here. Like, this is how I could illustrate it. I think, oh, there's Instagram. Abide in Instagram. Know what everybody in your life is doing, at least what they say they're doing, or, you know, for some of us of my age, Facebook. Abide in my word. Right? You're you're given the option to like it. You're given the option to love it. You're given the option to laugh at it. You're given the option to be mad at it. Abide in my word. And and it's always there. You know nothing's going on. Like, it's been five minutes. You know nothing earth-shaking has happened, and yet you still got to go check and just see if anybody got a good filtered picture to throw on there, right? Or if anybody had a witty comment or a, you know, a really clever meme about the political situation going on. Like, you just got to go check, right? And then you put it down, and five minutes later, you got to go check. Or three minutes later, it dings, or it beeps, or it buzzes, or it blinks a light at you. However, yours. Abide in my word. We abide in Instagram really well, right? We have our Facebook or whatever our chosen. We know what it means to abide. We know what it means to be consumed with and obsessed with and can't be far from. And, oh, my goodness, if I left my phone uh, while I'm going to the mailbox, I better stop and go get my phone because you never know what's going to happen on the way to the mailbox and back. We know what it means to be obsessed with a word, to be abiding in a word. Do we know what it means to be obsessed with this word, to abide in this word? Because that's what Jesus is talking about in the text today. As we've been leading up to this point in the book of John, in chapter six, he's like, oh, you want this bread that you eat and die. But I give you a bread that you eat and live. It's a better bread. And then in chapter seven, uh, at the feast of the booze that we're still in, in chapter eight, this feast of the harvest, you're thirsty. And you're going everywhere to drink, but it's dust, and I have a better water. I have a, a eternal life-giving water. I have the Holy Spirit coming in you and welling up eternal life water. Come drink of that. I'm the light of the world. You don't have to walk in darkness. You can follow me and walk in the light that is eternal life. Right? And so that's all leading up to where we are. And last week we talked about this. This Jesus is the light of the world. He is the saving light, right? He washes the world in the light of salvation, offering life. He's the guiding light of the world that you can walk in him. You can follow him. And as, as you stay close to him, the path is not easy, but the path is illuminated. And then as we come to the, the closing of this particular sermon from, from Jesus, he wants to talk not to the crowd anymore. He wants to talk to those who claimed to have believed in him. If you look at verse 30, there were many after he said all these things, there were many who believed in him. And he wants to talk to them. And he wants to talk to them very directly in this passage. And he's not talking to them to try to run them off. He's not talking to them to 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 anger them for anger's sake. He's talking to them because he does not want them to stop short of genuine faith, of transforming faith, of saving faith. And so he will not let them rest with casual faith and with fickle faith that won't get them to salvation. And so he's going to press in on those who say they believe to determine, do you really believe? Do you believe in a way that will genuinely save you and, and give you eternal life? And that's what the passage today is trying to accomplish. There's two key words I want you to listen for as I read in just a second. And so the two key words, one's two words, sorry, three key words to listen for. 
word or truth. And so as I'm reading, I want you to to be focused in on where does it say word, Jesus's word, God's word, my word and truth. And then the second key word is father. And so there's a lot of claims to father. We've got Abraham as our father. Jesus has God as his father. The Jews will claim that God is their father. But Jesus is going to expose not by their blood lineage, but by their character, who their real father is. And it's not even close to who they thought or claimed it to be. And so let me read. Uh, You be listening for word and truth and father, and you'll find that the two collide at a certain point. They collide at those who whoever is of God hears his words, meaning the essential quality of whether or not you can hear God's word and abide in God's word and love God's word and be connected to God's word is whether or not you belong to God himself. If he's your father, then you will love and hear his voice and his words. But if he's not, this word will not find a place in your life. And that's what Jesus says to those who kind of believed in him in verse 30. So verse 31, it starts. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered, we are the offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. And they said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God was your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reasons why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? 
And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, then I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you. Before Abraham was. I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray. So, Father. I pray that your word would find good soil in our hearts. I pray it would grow up and bear fruit 60 and 100 times. I pray that we would be very careful how we hear the word. So that, Father, what we have may not be taken away, but it might be added to and multiplied. And so, God, grant us to beware how we hear, not with our ears and our mind, but with our lives. Grant us to be very careful that we don't just hear and walk away, but we hear And it bears fruit to repentance and bears fruit to doing in our lives. So, Father, would you, not because we're good enough or strong enough, but because you are, grant us to abide in your word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So genuine faith is marked by holding fast to the word. Genuine faith is marked by holding fast to the word. Let's look at the first part. Make space for Jesus's word. It gives birth to new nature and to new to new desires. Make space for Jesus's word. It gives birth to a new nature and new desires. So it's hard to believe I was on another continent like two weeks ago. And uh, we go up in the mountains and we eat their food. And uh, it's tough. It's tough on the stomach. Uh, And that's not because it's weird. You know, you go to some cultures and they have a very strange cuisine. That's not Peru. Peru, it's just hard because it's very greasy and there's a lot of starches. So you get this huge plate of rice and huge plate of noodles and this greasy dripping chicken and fries. And it's like, man, this is hard to eat. And so uh, we drive back down the mountain and we get to Lima and there's two kinds of people in Lima. There's the kind like me. It's like, I don't care how nasty it is. I don't care how good it is. Give me something American to eat. Right. I want something that looks familiar, that smells familiar, that tastes familiar. And I really don't care that it's I hope nobody works at Chili's. I really don't care that it's Chili's and it's just not that good because it's American and it's familiar. And then there's people like Ashley and she's like, I'm in the city. I want some good Peruvian food. I I, I want to go find some local cuisine that's good because in the mountains it's not good. You see, Ashley's got new tastes. She's got a new appetite. We are all born with a set of appetites. We're all born with a set of taste buds in our mouth that that we grow up and we like a certain kind of food, a familiar kind of food. We're very familiar with the search for power. We're very familiar with if I get a better job, then I'm going to be happy. We're very familiar with more money as a pursuit and a better career as a pursuit. We're very familiar with a new new car as a pursuit and a new and a bigger house as a pursuit. And for us right now, it's a new couch. It's a desperate pursuit, like finding one that fits Amy's style and my comfort. Like it's an, it's a pretty we're familiar with all these tastes of power and money and, and appearance and self-righteousness. And we're very familiar with like trying to perform for God. 
That's our natural appetite. And we can't wait to get back to what is familiar. But when we meet Jesus, there is a radical reorientation of our appetites. We are given new taste buds, new desires for the kingdom, new desires for the last to be first, new desires that the meek will inherit the earth, new desires that the the one that we venerate, the one that we worship is this despised and rejected man that got thrown up on a criminal's cross. Like that's a new set of appetites, a new set of appetites where we love our enemies and bless those who curse us. Like these are the radical new appetites of the new nature that's been given to us. And so when Jesus points out, what he points out is that your appetites and that your desires are key markers to who you belong to, to who you follow, to who you love. Is it kingdom desires, kingdom appetites, or is it the old worldly desires with old worldly appetites that govern us? Let's look at it as we... As we jump into the text. So in verse 30, as we left off last week, many of them believed in him. And so Jesus is going to look and he's going to separate all this crowd that is here. And the temple is filled up with people. And he's going to look at them and he's going to zero in on those who claim to have believed in him. And at this point, we don't know if they did or didn't. Because we have seen genuine faith in John. Like the guy, the, uh, the, the guy who had his, the nobleman who had his son healed, there was genuine faith. The Samaritan woman, there was genuine faith. We've seen it. But we've also seen casual faith that is not saving faith. In chapter 2, they believe because of the signs. And in chapter 4, they believe because of the signs. And in chapter 6, many walked away because his saying was too hard. And so we've seen both kind of faith. What are we dealing with here? And so Jesus is not content to leave them with a casual faith, with a faith where it's like, you know what? I'm good. We got God in me and I got the right lineage. I'm good. I believe. And Jesus is not okay leaving them with that place, that place. And he's not okay leaving you at that place. And so what he does is he drills down on those who are claiming faith and he puts on them this, this test, this, this challenge. Like, here's what genuine faith looks like. Here's what it is marked by. What's it marked by? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. By the way, you could substitute in here disciple for Christian. Because I know it's like it's popular in the way we talk about faith to say, you know, what I'm a Christian. And then there's these disciples. And so we think that there's these two separate things. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. That is not biblical. The biblical definition, like if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, you're a Christian, like the two go together. And if you're not a disciple, then you're not a Christian. And if you are a disciple, you're a Christian, right? So the the two things are, are words for the same thing in the New Testament. And so he's like, you're truly my disciples. You are truly born again. You're truly saved. You're truly a Christian, whatever you say. If you abide in my word. What does it mean to abide in his word? Right. If you if if my word is at home in you and you are at home in my word, if there is a a homeness, a familiarity, a a connect, a relational connection between my word and, and you. Then you're truly a disciple. What do you do with this word? Right. So do I persevere in his word when it's hard and nobody else does? Do I love his word when I think like the psalmist, like this is better than gold. Yes, much fine gold. It's sweeter than honey. The drippings of honey from the honeycomb. Like, is that the way you think about his word? Right. The blessed man meditates on his word day and night. 
I mean, he's like this tree planted by rivers of water. Does the word do that to you? Do you love the word? Do you meditate on the word? Do you think of the word as the most precious possession that you have on this earth? Is it the sweetest thing to your taste buds? If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. If you love my word. If you consume my word, if you value my word, if you persevere in my word, you are truly my disciples. You're truly born again. You're truly a Christian. Whatever word you put in there, that's what Jesus is putting the standard of. Has it created a new appetite in you for this book? Because if it has, you're my disciples. If it hasn't. Keep pressing on. Don't stop there. Don't stop with a casual faith. Don't stop with a, 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 a spiritual background faith. Don't stop with a grew up in church faith. Don't stop with, you know, you've got the pedigree of faith. Press on until this word abides in you. Until you treasure it, till it's precious to you. Because that's the mark of a true disciple. A, truly, a person that truly belongs to Jesus. And then look at it. What's the impact of, of abiding in the word? What's the impact of, of, of this faith having grabbed hold of your heart? You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You will know the truth. Now, I do not think he means. And we can go through the text. and, and, and point. I, I don't think he means you will know Bible verses and facts about the Bible and Bible stories. I don't think he means that. I think what he means is you will encounter the truth. You will meaningfully engage with the truth. And and, and you'll learn that the truth is not abstract. The truth is a person because I am the way and the truth and the life. And so you've encountered the person who is truth. You've encountered the living gospel. You've encountered uh, uh, the truth in a way that shapes who you are. And so you hadn't just learned facts about God. You've encountered the truth of who God is and it's changed you. And so you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Except for they don't amen, do they? Right? You hear that as a believer, and I hear that as a believer, and I rejoice. I am set free. I am set free from everything I have earned, everything, every bit of guilt, every bit of condemnation, every bad thing. I have, I have, I have everything that I've earned, right? I'm set free. That is amazing for me to think about. But set free from what in the text? Set free from spiritual bondage, set free from sin, because to be set free implies that you were once enslaved. And and Jesus is going to expose what were you enslaved to? You were enslaved to sin. You were enslaved to spiritual bondage. You were enslaved to an enemy. You were part of the kingdom of darkness. Like That's who you were. You've been set free. And we're like, yes. But not these people. And so remember, what's the key mark? If you abide in my word, we don't yet know if they believe truly or not. But we're about to find out. Look at how they respond to the first word of Jesus. We are the offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anybody. Right. Hold to my word. Abide in my word. How is it that you say? How is it that you think your words can say we will be free? You see that? Like the very first thing out of their mouth is doubting the word of Jesus that he just said. Why? Because we have Abraham as our father. We have the right lineage. We have the right family background. We have the right religion. We do the right law. We keep the right sacrifices. Right? 
We have Abraham as our father. We do righteousness. We have Abraham as our father. We're religious. We have Abraham as our father. We go to church. We've never been enslaved to anybody. Do you see what they're doing? They believe in Jesus plus Abraham, plus the religious system, plus circumcision, plus the right family background, plus the right upbringing, plus the right church. And Jesus, this is not original me, plus anything equals nothing. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say that we're going to be free? And if you were to translate that to today, isn't this the sticking point for so many people? You mean, I got to admit that I'm a sinner? So, so the way I thought about it this morning as I was going back over this is like the word makes you nothing to offer you everything. Like that's the gospel. The gospel says you're nothing. The gospel says you are sinful. The gospel says you are condemned. The gospel says you're separated. The gospel says you're nothing. And then it offers you everything. You can be the adopted child of God. You can be declared righteous. You can be perfectly loved by the Father in a way that nothing can ever separate you from. But you might have got to be nothing first. You got to be, and, and that's the sticking point of the human heart, isn't it? Right? And so, like, wait, wait, this whole sin thing. I don't know about all that. Wait, wait, you're calling me a sinner? No. Who are you to judge me in that? And the stopping point from saying, I can be set free. I can have eternal life. Is that I have to confront that I am not worthy. I am not righteous. I cannot do this on my own. And I have to accept that. And to not accept that means that I have to be enraged by this gospel. But you know what? We've done something worse, haven't we? Because we know it offends people and because we know it hurts people's feelings. What have we done to make the gospel more palatable to people? If you don't like this whole sin thing, we'll just plop it out. And we'll just be travel agents. Man, don't you want to go to this place called heaven? Don't you want peace? Don't you want all these good things from God? But Jesus doesn't take it out. Right? He says, I'll set you free from it. He says, I'll give you eternal life instead of it. But he doesn't remove the offense. And so they're like, we've never been enslaved. And Jesus is like, don't you know, you are the same as all the rest of humanity that you despise. All these Gentile lawbreakers, you're the same as all of them. And you're condemned in your sin and you're you're a slave to your sin. Like, you just fit in with all of them. And they're like, no, Abraham's our dad. And they go back to it. And Jesus is like, yes, but I'll set you free. But I'll set you free. And so we've never been enslaved to anyone. He's like, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. We are born enslaved to sin. It is the condition of our life from birth. We are born as slaves. And then the other way around is also true. As you practice sin, sin is an enslaving force. And so, yes, as a lost person, I'm enslaved to sin. But even as believers, what is the effect of sin? It always enslaves. It always entangles. It always wants more. Right. And so when you give way in your life to sin habits, when you make excuses and rationalizations and, oh, it's okay, and I just had a bad day and I'm just stressed. When you make excuses and space for sin, sin will never be content with the territory of your heart that it owns. It will always want more and more. That's why Jesus speak. I'm sorry. James in in chapter one speaks of sin like bait on a hook. Right. And so here's temptation. 
bite it and it will capture you. Bite it and it is like a fishing hook that will, will, will capture you and, and control you. It is an enslaving power. Uh, Paul in Romans says it this way in chapter 6. Do you not know that who, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you have been committed. So what's he saying? Like you are born slaves to sin. Thanks be to God that he has set you free from that so that you're able to present yourselves to God as obedient servants and as obedient sons. We're not slaves. We've never been slaves. Yeah, you have. Because sin is an enslaving force and you're born as slaves. And then he uh, keeps going. He gives a little bit of a parable there. And then he, he, he goes into verse 37 where he acknowledges their claim. I know that you're I know that you're the offspring of Abraham. I know that you're claiming Abraham as your father. But is the true test of your family line, your biology, is the true test of your family line, your religious heritage, or is the true test of your family line, your character? Do you resemble your family line? Do you have the character of your father? Do you have the works of your father? Do you have the faith or unbelief of your father? And that's the test Jesus is going to put on him. I know Abraham's your biological father. But Abraham wasn't a murderer. And so there's a dissonance between claiming him as a father and then living in a way that's contrary to the way he lived, not having the character of him. So you seek to kill me. And then the next use of the word word comes in because my word finds no place in you. You think about the truth he is asking them to know. And it is so radical. It is so tearing down of them. It's a, it's a truth that undoes their sacrificial system that they grew up with. It's a truth that undoes the priests that they've looked up to. It's the truth that undoes the rabbis who have taught them. It's a truth that undoes their own righteousness, right? Because they have got this religious system that is like, I am good, you're bad. Right? And they have got this view of the world. We're the Jews, you're the Gentiles. We're the good people who keep the law, you're the bad people that don't have the law. And they view the world this way. And Jesus comes in with a truth saying, no, y'all are all the bad people. But I'll rescue you. I'll set you free. And there's no place in their hearts for a word like that. There's no place in their heart. And that's why the leaders, when they hear this, they're enraged. That's why the leaders, when they hear this word, they have to destroy him because this truth cannot stand. A truth that doesn't acknowledge where the good people can't stand. And so his word finds no place in them. Why? Why do they seek to kill him? Because they cannot bear this kind of truth. They cannot bear a word that makes them nothing. Even though it offers them everything in return. And so they continue on. And here comes the first hint of, of, of we, we've got some fatherhood issues in play. But the DNA test I'm going to put on you, it, it, you may be surprised who your dad is at the end of all of this. It's like Jerry Springer, isn't it? Is he still around? Okay, at least the reference must have hit because y'all left. All right. I speak of what I've seen from my father. And so Jesus is like, my father is God. I share the words that come from him. I'm sent from him. I'm on the mission of his. But you do look at that. You do what you have heard from your father. They're like, we do what we've heard from our father. Our father's Abraham. That's the answer again, right? 
Abraham is our father. And, he, and then Jesus is like very direct. OK, let's test the claim. Let's let's swab the inside of your mouth and let's get, let's do an a, a DNA test of what you've just said. Here's if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that he's heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Do you see that? Like the test, the, the DNA test of their spiritual fatherhood or uh, sonship is not a test of their blood. It is a test of whether they do the works that match the man of faith. And so what did Abraham do? Abraham said, God says, Abraham, get up from where you're going. I'll show you where to go. Just start walking. I'll tell you later. By the way, I'm going to give you an offspring, even though you're too old to have children and your wife is too old to have children. And by the way, I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And ultimately, all the nations of the earth will receive the blessing of God through you. And the text says a few chapters later, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what does it look like to be the children of Abraham? To believe God and have that faith accounted you for righteousness. You don't do what Abraham did. The people, the guy who's telling you the truth that you should believe and be made righteous from that guy's telling and you want to kill him instead. John the Baptist had something to say to some Jews who who were in the same situation. Uh, In chapter three of Matthew, he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Don't think that your bloodline is some special status that God's going to be admiring of and accepting of. God can make his children out of Abraham out of nothing. Do the works that match repentance. That's what he says. Uh, In Romans, Paul talks about the same thing. For no one is a Jew is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit. It has never been the case that claiming the right bloodline would make you okay with God. It wasn't the case back then, and it's not the case now. We have Abraham as our father. Yeah, if that were true, though, you would live in the way Abraham lived. And you'd have the faith Abraham had. And look what he says again. He's he's leading up to it. You are doing the works your father did. And so we're still left with a question. We know the answer because we've read ahead. We're still left with a question. Who's their father? Like, where is this going? And then they said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Here's what I think they're doing. This is a slight to Jesus. This is like, oh, you want to come at us? We're coming back. Because there's a lot of irregularities about your conception and your birth and the popular whispers that came out of out of Beth or came out of your hometown are that, you know, Joseph and Mary went a little bit early and then you were conceived and born. And so the way they think of the of Jesus's birth is these two guys just couldn't or uh, Joseph and Mary just couldn't wait. They totally missed like the whole miraculous part of it. And so we weren't born of sexual immorality like you. We have God as our father. And he's like, oh, you do. Well, if God was your father, guess what? I'm sent from God. I come from God. I'm on the mission of God. I do the work of God and I speak the words of God. I'm the son of God. So if you had God as your father, you would love me. And the fact that you have no love for me shows you don't know who he is. You have no clue who God is. And he's made that throughout. And so let's get to the real issue of parenting. Of parentage for these people. You 
are of your father, the devil. Verse 43, I'm sorry. Why don't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Like it's no place in you and you cannot stand hearing what I have to say because the word that makes you nothing. And he says, you're of your father, the devil. So when I swab the inside of your mouth, here's what it looks like to me. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. And so from the first whisper into Eve's ear that ultimately culminated in Adam eating the fruit and plunging humanity into death. And immediately, spiritually, they died. And ever since then, people have 100 percent, except for two, mortality rate on their lives. And so countless billions of death originated from the first whisper of Satan. You're of Satan who has whispered murder from the beginning. And he's a liar. He lies out of his very own nature. It is his character to lie. In fact, he's the father of lies. And so from the very first whispered lie into Eve's ear, he becomes the father of deception, the father of lies. And so what are the two marks to those who belong to Satan? Murder, lying. And when Jesus talks about murder, he doesn't just leave it. He actually committed the act, does he? He talks about hatred. He talks about anger. He talks about murder. And so when we do those things, when we allow those parts of our heart to be captured and fall into anger and fall into. We're starting to resemble the old nature that belongs to Satan, not the new nature that belongs to God. But that's not it either, is it? He's the father of lies. Lying is part of his character. You see, character marks who you belong to. And you think about we are never more like Satan than when we're lying. And that doesn't just mean the bald, straight out, big, like when we're deceiving When we're telling half-truths, when we're gossiping, when we're assassinating the character of other people, when we're slandering people, that's the nature that belongs to Satan, our fatherhood being attached to him, not the God who is truth. You are of your father, the devil, because you want to kill and you want to destroy and you're liars. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. And so you see that like you've so embraced the lie that you cannot believe the truth. They've so embraced a lie, a half truth, a whispered truth. That there's no room to embrace the truth, uh, uh, to embrace the truth of God, the words of Jesus. And here's what it ultimately points to. Whoever here, whoever is of God, hears the word of God. Whoever belongs, whoever is converted, whoever has been captured by God, whoever has been pursued by Jesus and repented and believed in Jesus, they will hear the word. Their ears will be unstopped and opened to it. There's a reason that you don't hear. Why? Because you don't belong to God. Right? You don't hear because you're not of God. And so I want to just beg you. The way Jesus is pursuing them, I just want to challenge you as well. Don't put your trust in religion. Don't put your trust in church. Don't put your trust in you grew up in church. Don't put your trust in dad was a pastor or a deacon. Don't put your trust that your your family was prominent. Don't put your trust that you attended church every day of your life. Don't don't put your trust in how much you've given to a church or your membership. Don't put your trust in your good works. Like thinking, yeah, Jesus, I like him and I work really hard to be a good person. Like, don't think that. Don't do that. That's that's who Jesus is talking to today. And when you when you're a believer who slips in that, like slip back out quickly, because that's who Jesus. That's what Jesus is confronting within our own hearts that turn backwards. Don't put your trust in anything 
but Jesus. Not close to Jesus, not like Jesus, not about, but Jesus. That is the only thing that will save you. That's the only thing that will save you. Can you take a word that turns you into nothing if it offers you everything? Because that's what's being offered to you today. The second step, and there's not as much uh, we'll go through in here. Embrace Jesus' word. It will show you his glory. It will show his glory is incomparable. Embrace Jesus' word. It will show you his glory is incomparable. And so we, we go into here and they start responding. And so they've, they've done the whole Abraham's my father, God's my father. Like they've thrown up their arguments uh, to, to try to be good, to try to be right. It wasn't faith in Jesus. It wasn't trusting his word. It was where they come from, right? So they've thrown that up. It didn't work out. Jesus has confronted all of it. And so what do they do now? You got a name call, right? So, you know, basically, if you lose an argument, just start calling names. And that really makes you right and smart and clever. Okay? so just if you're ever debating people, make sure you always resort to name calling. If you start to lose. I was just making sure you're still there. Half of you are half of you aren't. That's okay. Um, You are a Samaritan. That is a spiritual mutt that is despised. And you have a demon. You are delusional. And Jesus like, I don't have, uh, I, I don't have, I'm not a demon, right? I honor my father. You dishonor me. But all of this leads to one more grand claim. And the claim is, who is greater? And it's one of those moments in John that he has several of where these people completely miss the point. But they make a statement that is so profound that it can't be missed. And so John has done, John does this throughout the book. And so like later on in the book, it'll be Caiaphas, the high priest. Isn't it expedient that one man dies on behalf of the nation? Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. That one man would die on a cross to offer life to the world. That is that 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 works. But that's not what he means. Isn't it better that we just go ahead and kill this guy instead of him burning the nation down is what they mean. And here the same thing. Are you greater than Abraham? Now, they go like, who do you think you are? But that is the essential question, isn't it? Are you greater than Abraham who died? Are you greater than the prophets who died? And so Jesus is like, whoever keeps my word, whoever embraces the gospel word, whoever embraces the living truth of the gospel, they'll never see death. You will have a new life that death cannot touch anymore. You will have a new life that is so real and so rich and so eternal that death cannot end it. Death can only usher you into the fullness of it. And so they'll never see death. He doesn't mean the physical. That's what they mean. He means there's an eternal life that death just leads you into. It does not diminish you from. And they're like, we know you now have a demon. Abraham died. The prophets died. All of our heroes died. All of the godly people that we emulate died. All the people who wrote the Old, uh, the Old Testament uh, word died. Right? So however you want to say it, the father of our faith died. Are you greater? And Jesus answers that two ways. I don't seek my own glory. But do you know who does? Do you know that God loves the glory of his son? Do you know that God absolutely loves when the greatness and worth and majesty and saving work of Jesus is seen and engaged by people? The Father seeks the glory of the Son. The Father seeks for the Son to be known. The Father seeks for the Son to be seen as great. The Father seeks for the Son to be seen as majestic and wonderful and beautiful and treasure. Like the Father loves that. 
And so I don't have to come and like glorify myself and say how great I am. I've got a father who loves my glory and loves to display it for the world. Am I greater than Abraham? Yeah, because God, the father loves my glory being on display. And then the second, are you greater than Abraham? Well, Abraham yearned for my day. Abraham was consumed with a desire to see my day. And when he caught a glimpse of it, he was so glad and rejoiced. Now, you're not even 50 years old. That's just a round number, not indicating his current age. And that's like 1,500 years off or so, or 1,200 years off or so. And so, you've seen Abraham? You've seen Abraham? You're crazy. And then he makes this statement. Truly, truly, which is a marker. I'm about to say something really important and you should stop and listen. Before Abraham was, I am. Throughout John, we have said the I am statements of Jesus are declarations of his godness. And here, this is part of the way we know our interpretation is in the right realm. Before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. I'm God. And we know he's claiming that. We know that that's what they interpret. Why? Because the people that believed in him 30 verses ago now have stones in their hand ready to kill him as a blasphemer of God. Before Abraham was, I'm God, I'm Yahweh. And they pick up stones to kill him after having just believed and just partially adored him. You know, one interaction ago. And this is what happens. This is the violent response that we have when it's Jesus plus something else and that something else gets threatened. That denomination gets threatened. That family background gets threatened. That I'm a good person gets threatened. That religious working that I do gets threatened. And when that gets threatened, what kind of response is provoked? Do we pick up proverbial stones? It's a good indication that something else besides Jesus is capturing the core of who you are. And that's what's happened here. Something besides Jesus that was believe, I believe Jesus is good. Plus Abraham, plus religion. Don't fall into that. A few practical things as we wrap up. First, believe in Jesus plus nothing. I think we've hit that sufficiently, but believe in Jesus plus nothing. Don't stop short. Don't don't stop in verse 30 on your journey of faith. Don't live your Christian life in verse 30. Live your Christian life in verse 31. Abide in my word. And you're truly my disciples and I will set you free. Do not stop short of being set free. Second, saturate your life in God's word. This is not a collection of facts to store up about God. It is a living book pointing to a living person. And it is meant to be known so that we know him. And engaged so we engage him. And loved to enhance our love for him. And so it is a it is a God ordained means to him. And so I want to encourage you to saturate your life with this book. Don't saturate with your life with this book because the church says so. And you can check the box and God will like you more if you do the church reading plan. Like don't saturate your life with this because you think God will be more pleased with you. Saturate your life with this because you have a desire and a yearning and a love for Jesus. And he's increasing the treasure that this book is to you. And then the last one, Jesus is greater. Reorient your life to him. It does not matter what you put in the blank of desire, what you put in the blank of yearning, love or treasure. 
Jesus is a better treasure. He is a better treasure than your life. He's a better treasure than your house. He is a better treasure than your job. He is a better treasure than your bank account. He is a better treasure than appearing good to other people. And then anything else you want to put in there. Jesus is incomparably better. And don't stop anything less than him. Don't embrace anything less than him. Don't be consumed with anything less than him. What you do with the word. How much you love the word. It's a key mark. That you belong to God. That he's your father. That you're adopted forever into his family. Let's pray. Father, as we bow, we rejoice that it's not that we can get to you, but that you've come to us. It's not a mountain for us to climb. It's one you descended to grab hold of us and and bring us into your presence and bring us into your family. It's not on us. It's on you. And it's not on us. It's on what Jesus did. Thank you, Father. That we can feel the weight that we can be made nothing that we can see Jesus as everything. And he can offer us everything. And so, God, I pray that you would unblind the hearts and minds of people today, that, that Jesus would be everything to them, and they would see it today, and they would really believe. And, God, for us, where our eyes get glossy and flaky and unfocused, God, I pray, let us see Jesus again. And in seeing Jesus again, Father, Let us love and abide and treasure again. Desire again. Have new appetites again, Father. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.